You are listening to Studying Pixels, a podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simond, a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas. And you can find us every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Last week we reported that it is going to get even harder to get a PlayStation 5. And afterwards, we kind of put our heads together and we were thinking, wouldn't it be amazing? We could make it a whole lot easier for at least one of you out there. Keen-eared listeners may be able to pick up on what you're implying here, Stefan. But yes, we have a very exciting thing to announce in this episode. I almost can't believe it myself. That's why I want to say this is not a joke. We are giving away a PS5. We're giving away specifically a PlayStation 5 disc edition. And if that is not enough, if you're not impressed by now, then we are giving away also an additional DualSense controller. So this is for you out there. If you think, wouldn't it be amazing on Christmas to play on a brand new PS5 and have two controllers at your disposal immediately? That is what we are giving away. The entire package is worth 560 US dollars. So this is really a whooping Christmas gift. And why are we doing this? Because we want to show our gratitude. We've had a great start with this show for for this year. The year is coming to an end. Christmas is nigh. And we thought it would be amazing if we could just, you know, give away one of the rarest items at the moment um, to specifically our Studying Pixels Plus members. So that's important. If you want to participate in this giveaway, then you need to be a Studying Pixels Plus member. It doesn't matter where you live. The only thing that matters is that you are a Studying Pixels Plus member by December 4th. Yes, on December 4th, we're going to log into our Patreon account and we're going to go through the list of people that are our supporters on Patreon and we're going to select a random person. It's going to be like a random number generator, so there's no influence from our end. It will just be one random person. If you are already subscribed to Studying Pixels Plus, then you can rest at ease. You're automatically participating. And if you're not yet subscribed to Studying Pixels Plus, but you want to, then the process is fairly simple and straightforward. You can go to studyingpixels.com slash plus, and there you can click become a patron, and then you just, you know, you get taken through the steps. And do not worry. I mean, of course, you're going to get the chance to win a PlayStation 5. You're going to get a monthly plus episode that we produce, and you're going to get a lovely sticker. So it's the entire studying pixels plus program and there's no there're no strings attached like if you we're not like a gym or an internet service provider <laughs> you know <laughs> where, where you basically need to fake your death and move to move to cuba in order to get out of a contract <laughs> on patreon this is a thing where you can you can subscribe it's 5 dollars a month and if you don't like it or if you want to cancel afterwards, then you just do that and you won't be charged for the next month. It's, it works more like a Netflix subscription. Yes, not only do you get those, uh, those great things that Stefan mentioned, the opportunity to participate in the giveaway, the sticker, um, but also you'll have access to our library of plus episodes where we go into things like how not to write a term paper or most recently um, our discussion on the Yakuza series. 
So a little bit different from our normal uh, episodes and very enjoyable to record and to listen to, If I'm, although I'm biased, but you get a, a lot of good stuff. Yeah, I'm enjoying listening to our episodes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we will select the winner of the PlayStation 5 Disc Edition, including one additional DualSense controller on December 4th, 2021. You must be a Studying Pixels Plus member by December 4th. Because yes, Studying Pixels Plus is really how we finance our show. It's not entirely free, right? We need to make ends meet as well. And that's why we have this Plus program. So we would be, of course, eternally grateful. Um, if you would consider signing up and throw your hat into the ring for a brand new PlayStation 5. If you would like to have this in written form and you want to just get an overview, no problem. You can now go to studyingpixels.com slash PS5. And there you will find the entire, you know, conditions of this giveaway written down. There's no no secret things uh, that are part of it. It's just only what we mentioned on the show. But just if you want to, you know, have a brief overview on one blog post, then studyingpixels.com slash PS5. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to go to Cuba because I'm tired of paying my gym membership. Oh, man. Gyms, <laughs> gyms and ISPs, that is really tough. I tried to get out of a gym membership for quite a while. The only thing that I could possibly, and this was during the pandemic, the only thing that I mm. could do eventually is just pay everything off in one big payment uh, so that they would leave me alone and then just try and forget <laughs> about it. Uh, it's the, you know, the, the mob sharks of the fitness world. These chain stores, <laughs> you know, these gym chains, they can be quite ferocious. Yes, so nothing like that on studying Pixels. <laughs> whether you have a PlayStation 5 already or whether you want to have one anytime soon, you might want to stick around for our main story because we are now going to talk about some essential tips and settings, things you should really consider when getting a PS5 and maybe on your first few days when playing around with the console. So this is really for this is for the person who's going to win the PS5, but also for everyone who has one or is going to get one soon and we're not going to explain like the simple basics because you know these you know these videos when you go on youtube and it's like you know 18 amazing playstation 5 tips and it's like tip number one did you know you can turn the console on if you press the on button <laughs> <laughs> it has this incredible there's an incredible device called a cord, which actually projects picture and video and, and sound onto the television it's connected to. Now, many of you might know this, but if you plug in a cable, <laughs> it works a lot better than without. <laughs> we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to go into things that are of interest to hopefully as most uh, most of you, and um, at the same time that are not necessarily directly obvious. And I think the first thing I would really like to mention is that you need to get the right TV if you want to get to the mm. PlayStation 5. I did this. I combined my purchase of the PlayStation 5 with a new television because it was just the right time to upgrade. And I would recommend this at least to check your setup and be aware that some of these next-gen features, I would say most of the next-gen features that you're going to get, are contingent on your TV's capabilities. What kind of TV did you get stuff on with it? that you would recommend? I personally got an OLED TV, which is something mm. that I just love so very much since I've been uh, acquainted with the PlayStation Vita screen, which had an OLED screen back then already. Beautiful. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. The new Switch model has one as well. Now, many years later, an OLED Switch. Um, and I think once you've laid eyes on an OLED screen, it's hard to go back because you just 
with OLED screens, you have these deep uh, black, I don't know how to call it. But it's like a very deep black. It's like the as if the pixel yeah. is not just turned to like a low uh, lighting. So it's not just like this, you know, how when you turn on a TV, it's just a little bit grayish on the screen. But when it's an OLED screen, then those lights, they turn off entirely. So you can't distinguish, on my TV, you can't distinguish whether it's on or off if there's no signal coming in. It's funny because I, I don't have a an OLED TV, although that's probably somewhere on my list of next purchases to continue in my my technological growth in my apartment but um it is it is something that when someone explains it to you if you're not familiar with how a tv works you think well that can't be much different but i promise you if you sit in front of it and watch a movie or play a game you will have a hard time going back to a non oled television yeah and if you are ready to spoil yourself like that then you definitely should it's they are quite a bit more expensive than an LCD screen. Mm. In my mind, it's worth it just because I always consider how many hours I actually spend looking at a screen. And so I would want to have the, you know, like a pretty high quality screen. The same also goes for, you know, my computer or any other device that I have. Um, I just don't want to have like, you know, eye fatigue and so on. And I want to have um, a nice uh, color spectrum, which brings us to the next requirement, which would be HDR. HDR is high dynamic range. And this is a particular feature of the PlayStation 5, allowing you to have a broader range of colors than you would usually see. Of course, you also want a TV that at least delivers a 4K resolution, so 4,000 pixels. Technically, the PlayStation 5 can output up to 8K this is hypothetically possible. However, it hasn't happened yet. And it will probably not happen anytime soon, I reckon. It's on the box. It says like 8K resolution. But I'm not expecting a game anytime soon that will run in 8K. Sony gets so far ahead of themselves sometimes because that is definitely on the box. But I agree with you. It seems like, okay, this has been advertised as part of the PS5 and we'll see it really utilized in maybe three or four years after its release. <laughs> Of course, it would also be great if your TV could output 120 hertz. Now, this hertz is basically the image refresh rate. And the thing is that the hertz rate of your TV determines the maximum frame rate that your game can reach. And, you know, since the PS5 is technically able to output 120 frames per second, you should also have a TV that can deliver 120 hertz, although in most cases... The PS5, you'll be happy when the PS5 runs on a stable 60 FPS. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Who knows what will happen in the future? And here's the last one, really important one. You need a TV that has an HDMI 2.1 slot. So of course, any kind of TV that you would get at any kind of shop these days will have an HDMI port. But it needs to have an HDMI 2.1 port because the you know, the the speed with which the signal is delivered has increased over time, and the PlayStation 5 sends its signal through a, an HDMI 2.1 cable, and that's what you also need on your TV in order to get the best experience. So I got the PS5 uh, maybe at the end of last year, I think, and then shortly thereafter, so I didn't get an OLED TV, but I did get a really nice Sony television. And uh, it... It was almost advertised as if, hey, did you just buy a PS5? You should try out this television. And it has 
um, all the things that we've talked about and uh, going from an old, an older model LG television to this newer Sony television. It, again, it really is something where you don't realize the difference until you, you experience it. Um, and uh, it can, it can really enhance your gaming experience. Yeah. And I think I'm just generally the kind of person when I get a new piece of technology, like I'm super geeky, I play around with everything and I, I just want to get the <laughs> most out of it. You know, I just want to be able to say, if the PS5 is capable of delivering it, then at least I want to try it once. Let's yes, see it. let's see it. Let's see it. I yeah. want to see it before me. <laughs> Entertain me, you little console, spaceship shaped console. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, by the way, the same reason for why I always dig pretty deep into the settings. Whenever I get a new gadget, mm. the first thing I do is I go deep into the settings and I play around with everything and with every single feature that is available. Even if I'm not going to use it, like remote play on the PlayStation 5, I never really used, but I had to try it at least once to see that it works. And when it works, I'm like, ah, that's beautiful. Okay, I'm never going to use it again, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Have you so you you ha, you don't have a whole lot of experience? It sounds like with it with remote play with remote play. Not really. I did it a little bit on the PS4 back in the day, and I tested it once for the PlayStation yeah. Five. But thus far, the opportunity hasn't occurred that I would really need to make use of it. I think um, I like the idea of it, but I'm with you. I haven't really. I don't know that I've ever really been in a position where I've needed it. Yeah. Um, so, but it's it's. I mean the technology is there and it's really interesting. And I remember actually, um, I did use it a lot back in the PS3, PS Vita days. Um, but there's not really a occasion to use it for me nowadays, I guess. You can technically do it and it can be very practical if you are, let's say your TV is occupied and you want to play a game and it's not necessarily a game that is that needs super fast responses like you're not playing a first person shooter but maybe you're playing a role playing game if you want I played Persona 5 for example that's the game that I tested it with mm. and um, that was just super chill yeah it was just I, I was able to stream it to my iPad with no problems I could connect the, the oh, DualSense fun. controller and I could go to the bedroom and just stream the gameplay over and you barely notice any difference it is worth it then one thing that's also really worth it because it can save you a lot of trouble is to dig into that PlayStation 5, that's our next tip, and go to the default game preferences. You can find this if you go to settings, then saved data and game app settings, and then game presets. Again, we're not giving you the most obvious things here, but we're giving you only <laughs> things that are a little bit more intricate, but also quite important because there you can choose whether you want to, by default, play in resolution mode or in performance mode. Because yes, the PS5 gives you with almost every game the opportunity to choose, or let's say it forces you to choose, which is actually a bad thing, I think, <laughs> to choose between, do you want to have the full resolution with, you know, max quality graphical details, highest fidelity, or... Do you want that the game runs as smoothly as possible? Then you have a little bit of, you know, like reduced fog or some reduced graphical details, maybe reduced resolution. You may be playing in 180p instead of 4K, but instead you get a guaranteed 60 FPS. And I personally am totally a performance person. Like, I sometimes, mm. I sometimes switch to the resolution mode just to see how it looks. And then I think, oh, it's, a very it's very pretty. But eventually what's important to me is that the game is responsive. So I would always play in performance mode and you can configure in the settings that every game shall by default 
run in performance mode. It does make a difference too, because I've I've definitely had games where I think have you ever had this experience where you've maybe spent I don't know maybe ten or fifteen minutes um, marveling at the the all the beautiful imagery that they've put in the game, and then you say, okay, but it's running like crap. I need to turn <laughs> I need to turn this down a little bit. So I think it's nice to have that option. Yakuza Like a Dragon was exactly that for me. Mm. I started it up in resolution mode just to be just to see how good it looks. It's generally not a game that I would say is particularly visually impressive in a sense that of the fidelity. It's like its design is very cool, but it's not like wow, how impressive all the details look. But it, it looked pretty cool and you know with the light reflections and so on was was pretty neat. And then I realized, oh wait, this game is stuttering. It's if your eye has gotten or your brain has gotten acquainted to 60 frames as kind of a default, then it's also really hard to go back to 30 frames because it just feels a little bit like wobbly. It's really strange how much you notice it when it starts happening. You can also, in the same settings, adjust the difficulty, which is also pretty nice. By default, I just know that I play pretty much any game on the hardest difficulty available. And so in the settings, you can just select the desired difficulty that you want. And then whenever you start up a game... If there is a difficulty selection available, it will automatically bring you into the particular one that you've already chosen as a preset. And this is especially cool for those people that always struggle with whether the right stick is inverted or not. Because I know that for some reason, some people really like to have the right stick inverted. So when you put it up, that the camera actually goes up as well or down, uh, depending on the setting. And you can also select an inverted, inverted stick controls in that very same menu. That's one that I found uh, really quickly because one of the first things I do in any game I play is check is it inverted or not and I have to uh, fiddle around with it to get (laughs) what I want with it. Are you an inverted person? Well, that's a rather personal question. Uh, (laughs) 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 No, I I certainly am. Yeah, I I prefer the inverted. I think just because I'm used to it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a matter of getting used to it and it's a little bit like to me, inverted always feels weird because it feels like I'm flying in a jet. Yeah, I know. Where exactly you basically what you mean. press the, you press it back in order to for the jet to get to come up for the jet's nose to come up. And but I, I guess that if you get used to that, then it's easier to stick with it. Yeah, I wonder. I, I feel like it must have been defaulted in all the games that I played when I was a kid, and I just assume that that's how cameras work in video games. So now, when it's the opposite, I feel very off kilter. Yeah, <laughs> I can totally understand. The coolest thing is if you start up a game and the game is like a tutorial thing and it just says, look up. And then whichever direction you press the stick in, that's the one that's then automatically configured as up. Mm, that is really interesting. Now, you can also make accessing some aspects of the PlayStation 5 quite a bit easier. There is when you, whether you play a game or whether you're in the main menu, you can press the PlayStation button and it will bring up this neat little quick menu at the bottom. And you can actually customize that quick menu. This is not something all too specific or all too surprising because it's very briefly mentioned once you set up the console that you can do that. But I must say I quickly forgot about it and only later realized how practical this was because you bring up the quick menu button and you press the options button on the dual sense and then you can make some adjustments. For example, I barely ever broadcast my gameplay. So I can basically deactivate that broadcasting button so it's not in my way and I don't need to constantly scroll over it. However, 
I do use two different microphones on my PlayStation 5, depending on what I'm doing. So I put the micro microphone button in there so I can quickly switch between audio input devices, which is very practical. And since recently, you can even add a music button to mm. the quick menu because you can now toggle music from Spotify or Apple Music on or off without having to leave a game. Very practical. Practical and also very nice for uh, when when you have one of those long grinding sessions and maybe you don't want to get out another device. It's nice to just hit the home button and get that set up. Yeah, and while you talk about long grinding sessions, often you do grinding because you want to collect some trophies and sometimes trophy lists can be a little bit annoying to navigate. So the PlayStation 5 actually gives you a very nice way. That's also... Uh, I think it has been patched in and um, it's a really nice feature that I only discovered by coincidence. It actually has a trophy tracker. So you can go into the menu and you can select trophies that you want to track, up to five trophies that you simultaneously want to track. And then whenever you open up the quick menu, it will show you the trophies that you're currently tracking and the progress towards obtaining them. If those two are linked, if there's like a, you know, a, an actual thing that you need to count uh, within those trophies. And I find that very convenient, especially since sometimes you like to, after finishing a game, just clear things up a little bit, you know, get the re remaining collectibles or whatever. And you don't want to constantly have to switch back and forth from trophies to gameplay and so on. So you can just do that with the press of one button. It's also very satisfying. I know we're both platinum trophy hounds we go after them pretty frequently and it is really satisfying to um <laughs> you're kind of manipulating the metagame even further by having that tracker so that you not only feel the accomplishment of when a trophy pops but you also get to see how far along in it you are and uh it does make a huge difference yes it does and you can even if you want to you can even use a, a picture in picture mode so you can put the trophy tracker to the side of your screen i personally wouldn't do that because then obviously it limits the screen size but if it's just some repetitive grinding you need to do and you want to keep an eye on the trophy tracker then you can technically just also pin it directly to the screen and maybe it's a it's a bit of a motivator too always constantly in your peripheral come on you got to get those you gotta, you gotta, get you gotta farm those, uh, those vagrants and Yakuza like a dragon. You only have 40 hours left. Yeah, to actually <laughs> prevent yourself from getting too immersed in the story and constantly stay focused on the meta game. That's right. <laughs> they also offer really nice game help. And this is not really a good tip. It's, it's something that's quite obvious. But yes, there's this game help feature that sometimes you're looking for a collectible and all you need to do is just bring up the quick menu and it will automatically suggest... Uh, like it will have a card there and it will suggest to you that you can click on it and it plays a short video that's produced by the developer and shows you ideally roughly the direction in which the collectible is. I found that super helpful during Astro's Playroom. I mm. haven't really encountered it in any game since. I, I hope this is a feature that doesn't die over time. I know that maybe there's, there's a culture out there that uh, getting help with things like that is maybe, you know, I don't know, it's not cheating necessarily, but it's not like you're playing the game wholeheartedly but i i disagree with that because games are so big nowadays it is nice to say well i really want to do this thing i would like a little helpful <laughs> nudge in the right direction yeah because the alternative is just that you would then 
open up a second screen device, a tablet, a notebook, or your phone, and you would then Google, and then you'd find a YouTube video, and that YouTube video would have advertisements, and then there's a person who rambles for 20 minutes before they actually explain you where this... <laughs> <laughs> you know? I know exactly what you mean, yeah. My favorite, my favorite of these YouTube videos are the ones... It's it's great. The top comment will always be, thank you for not talking over it and just showing what to do. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's just show me where the collectible is. And Game Help really does that. I hope this is a feature that will actually be made use of. Now, these were some couple of tips that were, I would say, not super hidden. Now, here come some really helpful ones that at least for me were really helpful. You know that the PlayStation 5 controller, the DualSense, has an integrated microphone. And... One of the most terrible things in my mind about the PlayStation 5 and the DualSense controller is that the microphone in the controller is always on by default. This is a problem, and I'm going to explain why in a second. But first, let me say that you can change this. You can change it. It doesn't have to be on by default. You can go to Settings, Sound, Microphone, Microphone Status when logged in, and toggle it to mute. Now, your microphone will always, by default, be muted. It's annoying because there's actually an orange LED on your controller that will constantly be lit now. I find that super silly that the LED lights up when the mic is muted and not when it's, when it's live. But hey, it's a workaround for the time being. I hope there's going to be a patch coming out for this. And you even have the option that if you trigger, let's say, a broadcast now, let's say you want to go live on Twitch spontaneously, then in the same menu, you can also adjust that the microphone then toggles on as soon as you start a broadcast. Now, why is it a problem that the microphone is always on? Well, the problem is that it impacts the intensity of vibration of the DualSense controller. Because, yeah, one of the key features that was used to sell the DualSense to people and one of the key features that makes the PS5 feel so next-gen is its vibration. The vibration is really amazing. The haptic feedback. Haptic feedback. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, for example, if you're playing a shooter, um, the, you know, the right trigger button may feel heavier as you're pressing it down. You know, it, it reacts to what's happening in-game. I think the the first example that I had of this is in Demon Souls. If you use a heavy attack, it's much, it's, it, I wouldn't say it's much harder, but it is harder to pull down the trigger to land that attack. And if you have the microphone on, then power is diverting to the microphone, to put it very simply. And so you're just not getting the full experience of what this amazing controller can do. Exactly, yeah. It has also to do with the fact that the vibration of the controller would cause an audio interference with the integrated microphone. Because if you have too strong of a rumble next to the microphone, then it would be like... <laughs> and that might be annoying. In that regard, good on you, Sony. That's, that's good thinking there. But I, I would have liked if the microphone had been defaulted to mute so that you can experience the vibration first. Exactly. Because the vibration yeah. is, when the microphone is on, the vibration is automatically turned to weak. And this is pretty painful, I would say. If you want to experience the full impact of that haptic feedback, then you want to go to settings, accessories, controllers, vibration intensity, and then you can set that to strong. And while you're at it, by the way, if you're in this menu anyway, if you're following along with this 
podcast, then you can also dim <laughs> the LEDs on the controller because they're going to light up in blue or whatever color is currently prevalent. And you can dim them so they don't distract you while playing a video game. I don't know why anyone would have an LS, uh, uh, LSD, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, an LED constantly. <laughs> That's a much different experience. <laughs> <laughs> well, it pretty, pretty much comes close to someone constantly having an LED in your face while <laughs> playing a video game. Now, here's another audio-related one. I'm an audio geek, I admit that. It is pretty annoying that if you want to connect a headset to the PlayStation 5, you need a USB dongle, right? So even yeah. the original uh, PlayStation, uh, PlayStation headset, the Sony headset, does require a USB dongle that needs to be plugged in. Absolutely ridiculous, if I'm being very honest, but that's the case. However, if you plug in that USB dongle, your PlayStation 5 will always automatically select the headset as the audio output device when you turn it on. This is a, a throwback to the PS4, but uh, I feel that there have always been um, weird situations with uh, USB-connected devices with the later generation Sony games. Like, I, don't, I don't know if I was just... I just didn't put enough thought into it or what, but there, there, would, be case, uh, there would be times where um, I was playing a game on the PS4 and I wanted to charge my controller, so I would plug it into my laptop, which I was watching something on. Maybe I was grinding in Final Fantasy or something. And what would then happen is, every time, I would have to spend about five minutes to try to get my laptop to recognize that my headphones were separate from the device that I just plugged in. Oh, and I okay. think that there's, there's a, a bit of configuring on the PS5, too, where you, you wish it was just one step and you're finished, but you do have to kind of put some thought into it. I honestly wish that it was just possible to say, output the sound through the USB-connected headphones and through the headset. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Through the headset and to the, through the TV, so that I can have the both TV, active. Yeah. It's not possible. It's only possible, you can only have one selected, and if you have, if you leave that tiny dongle in your PlayStation 5, then if you boot it up, it always gonna, it's always going to send the audio to your headset. You might not always want to play with your headset. I, for example, only play with my headset in the evening, so I don't disturb the neighbors. So what you can do, you can go into Settings, Sound, Audio Output, Switch Output Device Automatically, and toggle that off. Because then the PlayStation 5 will always use the output device that was last used, even if you start it again. So if you turn it off and on several times or send it into rest mode several times throughout the day, then it will always use the same device. And then you can switch back and forth, basically. Yeah, it is nice so that you're not, you're not always wondering, um, oh, what have I left plugged in or what do I have to reset here? You yeah, just do it manually each time. And if you want to switch back and forth manually quickly, you don't always have to go deeply into the menu. Uh, you remember that I mentioned before, you can, you can actually customize the quick menu. So you can just go into the quick menu and select the audio output from there. The quick menu really is really nice. It took me a while to get used to it because it, it does feel so different from the PS4. But once you start customizing it and seeing everything that you can add on there, it's really invaluable. Yeah, I love the idea of, you know, being able to customize things in accordance to what I'm actually using so I don't I don't I don't like to have like useless icons floating around in any interface. <laughs> and I've actually got I got two more quick ones. One is it's a, a tip that I can give for everyone out there who 
has uh, several people in their household and might want to, you know, share the same console or share games. The thing is, you might run into the problem that, let's say, um, you purchase a game and download it on your account, and then you think, cool, then another person, let's say Dan and me, we live together, and then Dan goes onto the PlayStation 5, logs into his account, and he sees the game or doesn't see the game and can't access it for sure. Now, in order to fix this, you have to log into the account that the game belongs to, and you have to go to console sharing and offline play. You can find this in settings, users and accounts, other, and then console sharing and offline play. And if you activate this, then everyone in the household, everyone who logs into this console has access to the games that you have downloaded, regardless of whether they have a PlayStation Plus subscription or not. You can, though, only do this on one PlayStation 5 console. So this will then be your primary PS5 that others can use as well to play the games that you have purchased. And the last one is the obvious hint to a storage upgrade. I personally haven't done this, but I looked into it a little bit because I know a lot of people care about it, and that's why I wanted to mention it as a last item on this list. The PlayStation 5's SSD hard drive is super fast, but it's also pretty small. Officially, the PlayStation 5 has 825 gigabytes on its SSD. Now, the firmware, you have to abstract from that. So, effectively usable, you have 667 gigabytes. And that's really pretty tiny. It can be tough, especially if you get games. I mean, this is only going to take a couple of years till we get games that measure up to 200 gigabytes, you know? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're already there with some of them. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think there are a couple that already take up to 200 gigabytes. So, uh, the storage is pretty small. It's a bit smaller than the storage on the Xbox Series X. So what you can do, you can upgrade the internal storage, but the requirements are pretty strict. I'm not going to list all of them here because for a podcast, that would just be boring if I go through all the, all the lists, but you can look it up <laughs> online. Um, but the thing is, you have to purchase an SSD that keeps up with the internal speed of the SSD of the PS5. Because yes, the PS5's SSD is specifically customized to reach a pretty amazing speed, but that means if you want to extend that storage, you need to obviously install an SSD that's compatible with the already internal SSD of the console. And if you want to do that, you need to purchase one. The prices can be pretty whooping. We're talking 150 to 300 US dollars here. And you then have to open up the console, you have to unscrew an SSD slot, insert the SSD, close things up, and the SSD will be automatically formatted, so you can then have a bigger store storage. I personally am going to hold off on that, because to me it's never felt as significant, considering that I have like, you know, I have a pretty fast internet connection, so I just delete the games that I'm not currently playing. If I want to come back to them, it takes me like 20 minutes to re-download for most games, so yeah. it should be alright. That's a pretty reasonable thing, especially if you're the kind of person who maybe sticks to one game at a time. Um, uh, I, I really haven't uh, run into too many issues with it. I think the other nice thing, too, and Stefan, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have the disc version of the PS5, don't you? No, I have the digital one. Oh, you have the digital one? Yeah. Okay. Well, so then what I'll say is I have the disc version. So this is a problem I rarely run into because most of the game is on the disc. So you do have to download you know, some of the material for it. 
and wait until that's finished, but it's usually a fraction of what you would need if you're downloading a game fully. So um, it, it should be noted that the PS5 that we have in our possession, it's a disk drive version, correct? The one that we're giving away? Yes. Yes, the one that we're giving away is a disk version, yeah. I will say, um, and it may just be the way I play games, just tunnel vision on one at a time, but I have not run into that problem just yet with the storage. I'm the same. I also play mostly one game at a time. Maybe I have, let's say at most, I have like three games at, at the same time installed on my console, mm. usually two to three games. But uh, of course, I understand some people, for some people, it's like, they might live in a bigger household where five different people are using the PlayStation 5 or all, all want to right. install their games. Or there are other people who like have like three different competitive games and then two games that they play with you know friends locally and then two more games that they play in single player. And yeah, so I definitely get the problem and I think it's a bit ridiculous that the SSD is so small because it's totally not future-proof. It's like in, in three years, uh, the PlayStation 5 is going to constantly run into problems and you will basically be... Yeah in desperate need of such an upgrade. So, but it's, by that time, my expectation is also that the prices for these specific SSD uh, slots, that they will actually fall over time. The more competition is on the market, then someone will come out and will say, here's the thing for, for $80. And then someone will come and will say, like, here's the thing for $60. And that's probably then the price where we would roughly end up for a proper uh, storage expansion. Mm, that's usually the way these things go. The more... The more need we have for storage, the easier it is to get them. Yeah. And of course, if you participate in our giveaway, if you throw your hat in the ring, then you have a chance to win a PlayStation 5 disc version anyway, and you might not have to worry about that too much. Now, while people are diligently subscribing to Studying Pixels Plus, Dan, shall you and me, shall we move ahead to do some side questing? Yes, let's do it. <laughs> As you know, in our side quests, we scavenge through the internet and we select stories that we find interesting and important and collect them. And we also share our own video game impressions. Now, this week we've got a big story on Activision Blizzard, quite obviously. But before we get into that, we've got a tiny small news that we want to put out there. Number one, how Xbox outgrew the console inside Phil Spencer's multi-billion dollar gamble. This is written by Sam White on gqmagazine.co.uk. The article itself is a lengthy interview with and an elaboration on Phil Spencer's approach to lead Xbox. Because, yeah, we've been talking about the PlayStation and about Sony for quite a while now. <laughs> we need to balance this out a little bit. There are actually several interesting in details in this story. For example, one paragraph is titled, quote... PlayStation is no longer the competition, end quote. Because PlayStation, the article reasons, still follows a pretty straightforward model of the full-price, high-profile first-party game that is playable exclusively on PlayStation consoles. That is sort of their business model. That's the game they are playing. However, quote, Xbox's fight is different. With the Apples and the Netflixes of the world in the battle for time, convenience, and mass consumption. Play any game you want from any generation of Xbox all in one with Game Pass. End quote. So Xbox has long since become bigger 
than just the actual Xbox console, than just the box. And it seems that Microsoft seems to want to go further in this direction as well, uh, considering their pushes into cloud gaming. So this is definitely something where we can expect that I find it a really interesting hypothesis that the competition between PlayStation and Xbox is growing further and further apart, that they're not necessarily, they are in the same game, but they're not necessarily running on the same course anymore. I definitely think that that quote that you just read stuff on is uh, how I have grown to view Xbox um, in the last couple of years, because we've mentioned Many times, we're both big Sony fans, um, but one problem that Sony does have is opening up their library. And I think that Xbox has done a tremendous job with Game Pass of making, really, I mean, games that you would think have no market value anymore. Like, you can't, I look at some games that are on Game Pass and I think, wow, is anyone really buying that? Or is anyone really going in and playing that? And uh, I think that that's, that's the direction that I would like to see games go in the next couple of years. So although I don't play Xbox, I appreciate that the competition with the Apples and Netflixes of the world, like they say, is driving them to open that library up. I also must say that I honestly envy Xbox players for the Game Pass, because Game Pass is such an amazing yeah. deal. And the fact that you get every single exclusive on day one directly as part of Game Pass makes it so tremendously appealing that I just think uh, Sony is just nowhere close with their PlayStation Plus model. Yeah. And this is only exacerbated by the fact that, as we know, Microsoft has also purchased ZeniMax Media, which is the parent company of Bethesda. This is something that also is brought up in this article, and that's the main reason why this particular article got some traction uh, this week. Uh, just <laughs> as a tiny little detail on the side, I found this very interesting, quote, the deal cost more than what Disney paid for Star Wars and every Marvel franchise combined, end quote. So the, we're talking probably the, I, I mean, I would think the tens of billions at that point. <laughs> that is really a lot of money. Yeah, I think Star Wars was four billion. I don't know how much they paid for Marvel. I think a lot less at the time they bought it, but that's a lot of money for a game studio. Yeah, and they're making the most of it because... Bethesda has thus far been mostly, uh, it has been a third-party developer. Uh, these games, like Skyrim, for example, have been available pretty much anywhere. Like, you can play Skyrim on almost, on, on like a toaster, on a, on a fridge computer, basically. <laughs> you can play it on anything. And now, we know already that Starfield, which is going to be the, presumably the next big thing, high, next high-profile title by Bethesda Game Studios is going to be a Microsoft exclusive. That means it's going to be for Xbox consoles and it's going to run on Microsoft platforms, so on the PC, but not on PlayStation. And it's long since been speculated whether Xbox would go so far as to make The Elder Scrolls VI also an exclusive and it seems that we know now. The article says, quote, and this is a quote in which uh, Phil Spencer speaks in the article, quote, it's not about punishing any other platform. Like, I fundamentally believe all of the platforms can continue to grow. But in order to be on Xbox, I want us to be able to bring the full complete package of what we have. And that would be true when I think about Elder Scrolls VI. 
That would be true when I think about any of our franchises, end quote. So this has largely been interpreted in online discourse as this means Phil Spencer says the Elder Scrolls 6 is going to be a Microsoft exclusive, not for PlayStation consoles. And I find that a little bit painful because I've just always played the Elder Scrolls games and now I'm not going to be able to because I don't have a gaming PC. But I can also understand it. I think it it makes sense in a way that I would be shocked if it wasn't an exclusive, given that they they bought, you know, Zenimax. And really, when I think about it, I think about the um, the PlayStation exclusives. And it's a very long list of really great franchises. And I think of the Xbox exclusives, and I'm, I'm struggling to think past Halo. Well, and Forza. Forza Horizon. Forza. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, it, but the thing about that is that both of those, I mean, as great as Halo is, because I'm a fan of the Halo games, but they do strike me as small kind of purview of people, I think, at the end of the day. And Elder Scrolls, what they've proven with Skyrim being re-released a billion times, is that um, everybody wants to play that game. And so if they're, it, it makes sense to me that they would be capitalizing on having an exclusive like the Elder Scrolls, it seems a foolish decision not to almost. I think so too. I think the, the it would probably make the most sense to take the Sony course in this way, which is releasing the Elder Scrolls 6 as a Microsoft exclusive and then maybe a couple of years down the line, two or three years later, when the game has hopefully some earned some critical uh, praise and is quite popular amongst players. We don't know whether that will happen, but it's at least fairly likely, as all the The Elder Scrolls games have thus far been pretty successful, to then maybe consider to bring it to PlayStation as well. Once the market for Xbox and Microsoft platforms has been entirely saturated. At least from the Sony perspective, it's been a, uh, it seems to have been a tumultuous few years for Xbox, and so it might be good for them to take a closer look at things that they may hold closer to their vest. Number two, we need to talk about Activision Blizzard. This has been the biggest story, not only of the last week, but also of the last few months. And we've brought quite some updates. Uh, most of you who are involved in video game discourse, you've probably read some of the stuff that was going on. What we did now is we accumulated several articles and put it all into this one side quest. Um, we might not always reference directly each and every article that we have read um, in order to come up with this research, but you'll find everything linked in our show notes transparently. Of course, we need to give a trigger warning up front. We're going to also talk about matters such as sexual violence um, in the story that we're going to discuss. So there's been a major escalation regarding Activision Blizzard this week. We previously reported already that the publisher, Activision Blizzard, they make such games like World of Warcraft, they make uh, Diablo, right, and uh, Overwatch, they face several lawsuits at the moment, and even more controversies due to accusations of sexual harassment and a toxic work environment. And now tensions have reached a preliminary peak after a report was published that was pretty much the initial spark of it this week by the Wall Street Journal. The report is titled 
Activision CEO Bobby Kotick knew for years about sexual misconduct allegations at video game giant. That's the title of the report. And it sheds some light on how accusations of sexual harassment and even rape were handled internally. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the details, but I think that last time we talked about this uh, Activision story, we kind of ended it on a note of, well, we certainly expect more to come of this. And I think, and, and maybe, maybe you thought differently, Stefan, but I think when we, when we ended that story, I ended it kind of on the note of, oh, we'll see more court proceedings or we'll see more of the, um, uh, the internal investigation that's been happening. Um, what we did get more of is really these really heinous accusations that the culture of Activision Blizzard went all the way up to the top, that kind of frat culture that we talked about, and that it was certainly known by the people in power over there and either ignored or swept under the rug. Yeah, maybe just to shed some light on a couple of aspects that are important maybe to, to be aware of as an example, one <clears throat> example case, and this is one out of many that the report details, quote, an employee alleged that her supervisor had raped her on two occasions after he pressured her to drink alcohol at work events. The employee's lawyer said she reported the incidents to Sledgehammer's HR department, so human resources department, and supervisors. But nothing happened until after she obtained legal assistance and threatened to sue. That led to an out-of-court settlement and the supervisor's termination. End quote. So this is one example of many others. We're not going to go through all of the stories and all the accusations. Of course, all the victims deserve to be heard. Um, but this is just an, an example case because we don't have the time to go through every single thing. That's the, yeah, the general, the general tenor of what we're dealing with in this, in this story. This is the tenor of what we're dealing with. And the extent becomes clear if we look briefly at the case of uh, Jen O'Neill. Um, she was hmm. the co-leader of Blizzard Entertainment. Um, she was also in charge or basically took charge of the matter of basically trying to push Blizzard into a direction of increasing diversity and kind of also giving them a better form of publicity because as far as I'm aware, she's a black woman who's also gay, if I recall correctly. Um, she quit her position on November 2nd in 2021. And back then... Jen O'Neill said in an official statement, which was published on uh, Activision Blizzard's website, it's titled A Message from Jen O'Neill, she said, quote, I am doing this not because I am without hope for Blizzard. Quite the opposite. I'm inspired by the passion of everyone here working towards meaningful, lasting change with their whole hearts. End quote. So at that point, she expressed some hope in the change of Activision Blizzard. I remember when that happened. It's not something that we talked about um, because we were really we were waiting for more development. Um, but I think at the time that definitely seemed like uh, kind of a a very um, diplomatic corporate exit. Um, and I think that uh, I look. I, I can't put myself in her position. That's an incredibly stressful position to be in. Um, and I think that that's a really great way to handle that, uh, that statement that she gave, but there has been a bit more coming out that she, uh, I'll just, I'll just read from an internal email where she was 
kind of being a little more upfront um, about why she left. Um, in an internal email, she supposedly expressed that, quote, little faith, act- she had little faith Activision could turn around a toxic workplace shot through with sexual harassment and discrimination. So it does seem that she kind of um, gave up the ghost a little bit on Activision Blizzard. And uh, who, I mean, I, I don't know that I can blame her. Once you're that involved with a company and you've seen so much of that, I can absolutely see that you would be thinking, well, there's no recourse here. This is something that I, I need to step away from because I don't know how to fix this. Actually, she expresses great frustration um, in addition to what she had said in that email already because she herself had been paid less than her her, her co-partner in exactly the same position, Mike Ibarra. And she also reports, and I must say this is something that that's really hard. She, she also reports that she herself had been sexually harassed several years ago at Activision Blizzard. And she says, uh, quote, I have been tokenized, marginalized, and discriminated against, end quote. So O'Neill, she will leave Activision Blizzard by the end of this year and she will engage in a non-profit organization called Women in Games International. Because it seems that from her point of view, there is really nothing that can be done about the... Well, I won't say there's nothing that can be done, but she has little hope that there can be effective changes in the structure that is currently in place at Activision Blizzard. Not to uh, uh, not to look too far back in the past, but it reminds me of um, here in America, after Watergate, it was clean house in the Senate. And it was, you know, anybody involved with this needs to be out. And it feels very, as if she has a very similar feeling where she's saying, there's nothing that can be done if these, if this structure, these people, this history is still kind of being uh, uh, propped up as how you do things at Activision Blizzard. Especially when it relates to the Activision Blizzard CEO, Bobby Kotick, because Oh, my God. (laughs) Some of the accusations listed in this Wall Street Journal report also are directed at him. For example, in 2006, he supposedly threatened an assistant in a voicemail saying that he will have her killed. This matter was settled out of court and an Activision representative states now, quote, Mr. Kotick quickly apologized 16 years ago for the obviously hyperbolic and inappropriate voicemail, and he deeply regrets the exaggeration and tone in his voicemail to this day. End quote. Well, I'm glad he regrets it. (laughs) If you allow me to give one more case to this, because this was also in the report. Please. Um, Quote, the next year he was sued by a flight attendant on a private jet he co-owned, who claimed Kotick fired her after she complained that the pilot had sexually harassed her. That was settled in arbitration with a $200,000 payment to the flight attendant. End quote. There are more. It's uh, an employee was fired. Due, uh, an, uh, sorry, an employee at Activision Blizzard was supposedly fired for sexual harassment accusations and Kotick went ahead and overruled the termination of his contract to keep him on for longer. I think he was later let go anyway. But it just goes to show that they're just, it just piles up. It piles up more and more. It piles up more and more. And um, 
unfortunately, to no one's surprise, it goes all the way to the top. Um, and I think that, I mean, put yourself in a, in, so for those of you who, um, are maybe in the corporate world, or maybe you, you've never worked a corporate job, um, it, it does matter what the CEO is doing. I, I would say that that is maybe their entire position is they're kind of the helm of the ship. They're the, they're the person leading it. And so if you have a really well, you know, good faith, well-acting CEO, it trickles down. And the opposite is absolutely true. So for the CEO of a major company like this to be overruling decisions to fire employees for sexual misconduct, what hope would you have as an employee to voice your opinion on something or, God forbid, voice something that had happened to you, especially when it seems like the culture is sweep it under, under the rug, pay to make it go away, and then don't do anything about the person who actually committed the act. Right, because that's what a settlement essentially is. We say we pay the yes. person, we say we give you money, and in exchange, you don't sue us. That's basically what, what the, the process is. And the thing is, Activision Blizzard has, at a certain point, then outsourced it com its complaint system to a law firm. And that law firm has, according to the report, quote, 500 reports from current and former employees covering sexual assault, pay disparities, bullying, and more, end quote. So we're talking about 500 <laughs> reports, some of them presumably rather minor, some of them pretty severe. But according to the Wall Street Journal's report, Bobby Kotick did not inform the company board of these issues and lied about not being aware of them. To this accusation that he did not inform the board that he lied about not knowing about it, an Activision Blizzard representative responds, quote, Mr. Kotick would not have been informed of every report of misconduct at every Activision Blizzard company, nor would he be reasonably be expected to have been updated on all personnel issues, end quote. And on the one hand, sure, it's a large company. You're not going to be hearing about, that's not, you would have no time in the day if you were fielding every HR dispute as the CEO. On the other hand, the way that he conducted himself when they did come across his desk speaks volumes to how he would have probably handled all the other ones, I would imagine. Yeah, and honestly, I am generally cautious with, you know, passing judgment on people I uh, I do not know or don't, I, I don't have any idea of what kind of person they are. But Bobby Kotick, yeah. he makes it really difficult not <laughs> <laughs> he, yes, he makes it really hard. It's like, honestly, I'm like, I'm trying to be as professional as I can about these things. But I have to say, um, I have, when I go through these stories, and we've, uh, honestly, I've read through so many of these stories while writing up this side quest. And it just gives me a kind of an, an effective sensation of disgust. Um, that yes. I can't deny is there because I just think, how how is this possible? How is it if it's it's a CEO who not only into he not only ignores um, accusations and you know accusations of harassment and uh, you know women being paid less than men, 
he also is himself accused of having done things which is not a, it's not a vague accusation it's not like a words word against word but these are things that happened 16 years ago okay in all fairness but there has actually been a settlement uh, to these matters so for a threat on someone's life we should say right i i mean you're you're absolutely right i think we um we do strive to kind of see the good before the bad in people and try to be come at things from a neutral perspective and give people the benefit of the doubt. But as you say, um, uh, this, this man, uh, Bobby Kotick has been, he's never been favorably looked upon by people who are critical of the, um, of the games industry. And I think that this is a sad, I told you so moment where it, it, it's not surprising to hear these things. Well, maybe we should also uh, give a little bit of space to the uh, response that Activision Blizzard um, gave to this report because they released mm. a statement in support of Bobby Kotick, the, the board of directors at Activision Blizzard, I should say. And uh, they said, quote, under Bobby Kotick's leadership, the company is already implementing industry-leading changes, including a zero-tolerance harassment policy, a dedication to achieving significant increases to the percentages of women and non-binary people in our workforce, and significant internal and external investments to accelerate opportunities for diverse talent. The, remote, the, the board remains confident that Bobby Kotick appropriately addressed workplace issues brought to his attention, end quote. We've, we've talked before. In fact, our first episode, um, we talked a lot about um, how accountable should people be for the things that they say. Um, and now we're on the opposite end of that, which is how accountable should people be for the things that they do? And I think that this statement speaks volumes because it reads to me, because it ends with, we believe Bobby Kotick handled these appropriately, that I think it is implied that he's not going anywhere, that they have, that he has their support. And so the things that they say about women and non-binary people, which are lovely endeavors to make, you know, any, any good company I think should strive for that kind of diversity. It does come off as an empty platitude when you end the statement by saying we sign off on how Bobby Kotick handled things. Indeed. And the thing is that we are obviously not the only ones who feel uh, disgusted or outraged by this report and by the conduct of Bobby Kotick and by the support that the board of directors gives him. But in, in fact, there has been quite some internal protest going on as well at Blizzard. Um, upon this report by the Wall Street Journal having been published, uh, and in light of the response by Activision Blizzard, hundreds of workers at Activision Blizzard participated in a walkout. Quote, more than 150 people showed up to protest at the Blizzard campus in Irvine, California, with dozens more outside Activision Blizzard's quality assurance office in Minnesota, end quote. So there's been a big walkout that's been, you know, very widely reported in the media. There's also a petition that was initiated by the ABK Workers Alliance. And by the way, if you are as confused as I am by the title ABK Workers Alliance, Activision Blizzard... Yes, it's Activision Blizzard King, because actually that's the full name of the company. It's Activision Blizzard King because they also own the casual game company King. Um, so the ABK Workers Alliance, they put up a petition and this petition reads, quote, We 
the undersigned no longer have confidence in the leadership of Bobby Kotick as the CEO of Activision Blizzard. The information that has come to light about his behaviors and practices in the running of our companies runs counter to the culture and integrity we require of our leadership and directly conflicts with the initiatives started by our peers. We ask that Bobby Kotick remove himself as CEO of Activision Blizzard and that shareholders be allowed to select the new CEO without the input of Bobby. <laughs> of Bobby. Hey, Bobby. <laughs> Who we are aware owns a substantial portion of the voting rights of the shareholders, end quote. And at, the, at this time, at the time of recording of this show, 1,598 people have signed this petition. And just to put this into perspective, um, I say 1,598 people have signed the petition, quote, as per the publisher's latest annual report, the company had approximately 9,500 employees as of December 31st, 2020. The number of contractors working for the game giant is unknown, end quote. So it is a petition that is as of yet signed by, I would say, a minority of people directly employed by Activision Blizzard. Although it should be said, not a uh, not a staggering minority, if those numbers are correct, right? If, um, uh, I mean, I know it's, it, it, it may seem kind of to pale in the amount of employees that are actually working there. But I, I do think that this is, this is a sizable movement and one that I think is, uh, is pretty warranted. And again, I just think about these people working at this company, smarter people than I have said that there's a culture in the games industry that, um, you are lucky to be working, uh, for a company that is making games and they get a they get away with a lot behind that banner. And I think that these 1,600 odd people are great examples of people who say, well, we're still human beings who deserve to be treated fairly. And we don't feel that we'll be treated fairly as long as this guy is at the top. Yes. And of course, we must not forget that just because someone doesn't sign the petition, it doesn't mean that mm. they would be let's say, in support of Bobby Kotick or at least opposed to his removal because there's obviously, this is a petition that you sign with your real name. And if, there, yeah. if the workplace culture is as bad as we can safely assume that it is at Activision Blizzard, then I would not be surprised if many people would rather hold off on signing that petition, at least at the moment, to see how things go because who knows what repercussions you might face. <laughs> or those those people on, on the list might face. Anyhow, if you want to look it up yourself, dear listeners, you can actually find the petition linked in our show notes. It's just called Petition for the Removal of Bobby Kotick, and it, it links to a Google Docs document. Of course, shareholders are also quite displeased. So the pressure is really rising here. Led by the SOC mm. Investment Group, shareholders already expressed their contempt for the toxic working culture at Activision Blizzard back in September 2021. And now they sent a letter demanding for Bobby Kotick to step down. This letter has been obtained by Bloomberg, as far as I'm aware. Oh, no, sorry, excuse me, by gamesindustry.biz. And it reads in part, quote, In contrast to past company statements, CEO Bobby Kotick was aware of many incidents of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and gender discrimination at Activision Blizzard but failed either to ensure that the executives and managers responsible were terminated or to recognize and address the systemic 
systematic nature of the company's hostile workplace culture, end quote. So even from the side of the shareholders, we see a clear response here. And if I may add the last point to that story, we also see a reaction from the industry, of course, most notably the head of Xbox, Phil Spencer. We spoke about him earlier already. He sent an internal email obtained, this is the one that was obtained by Bloomberg and written up by Jason Schreier. And in this email, he stated that he is, quote, disturbed and deeply troubled by the horrific events and actions and that he is evaluating all aspects of our relationship with Activision Blizzard and making ongoing proactive adjustments, end quote. And PlayStation chief Jim Ryan apparently sent a pretty similar email stating that, quote, he and his leadership were disheartened and frankly stunned to read that Activision has not done enough to address a deep-seated culture of discrimination and harassment, end quote. And end of the story for now. Yeah, when I think that, you know, uh, I I was glad to read those reactions um, yeah. because I think that silence would have been oddly complicit or maybe uncaring. And I think that, you know, are, are Sony and Xbox perfect companies? Absolutely not, right? Um, but uh, when and until something like this happens at these companies... I think that it's important for other um, entities in the games industry to make it clear that that's not something that we tolerate, right? We're we're drawing a line in the sand, um, and it's it's nice to see that coupled with the internal protests as well. It, yeah, it is quite encouraging for me because the thing is, you know, companies as part of the economic system, and I'm bringing in a little bit of systems theory here. <laughs> they operate yeah. under the code of profit. They, their primary focus is making money. And that is just, that's a non-normative statement. That is a descriptive statement of how the economic system works. That's why it is often so difficult to appeal to a company by arguing with moral reasoning because the company will not, maybe individual people at the company, yes, but the company as such and the economic system as such, not care about morality unless it in some way affects profit. And I think the fact that we see pressure from shareholders, pressure from workers, pressure from other people in the industry, and of course, surely also pressure from people who, you know, look at the games of Activision Blizzard, look at the quality and the failings of their games quality that uh, has happened in recent years, and maybe think twice whether this is something they want to support. Now, I'm not calling for a boycott because that can be problematic in itself. There are many people at Activision Blizzard who, you know, want to get their salary and who work hard on these games. But the thing is just, if someone like Bobby Kotick as a CEO, and not only him, but everyone who's involved in a leadership level and has not been active in changing the workplace culture there, becomes not just a moral or social, but also an economic liability to this company. And that's why I honestly think, you know, if I may extend a personal word to Bobby Kotick, I think, <laughs> because I assume, I assume that he's going to listen to our show, of course. I think he listens every week, yeah. Probably because he wants to win the PS5. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> <laughs> the winner gonna is... Need, we're gonna ha we have a 
<laughs> Bobby Cohn, we have a few uh, stipulations here, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone can participate in winning the PS5, except for Bobby, Bobby Kotick. In order for him to participate, he needs to remove himself from the position of being the CEO. Because I That's honestly right. think, why not just do it? I know that this man is rich. Like no tomorrow. He's very rich. He's very powerful. And I think if I look at things from the story as I can see it from the outside, then to me it seems most reasonable to say, just, you know, step down, step away, leave Activision Blizzard behind you. It You will not get into a position where you can comfortably lead this company anymore. It will, at this point, so much trust is lost. So much damage has been done that it's important to step away and to maybe donate quite a bit of a share of the money that you earned or that you have to, you know, maybe let's, let's maybe to Jen O'Neill's, you know, International say, Foundation yeah. for Women in Games, to donate to that, to show some goodwill, disappear for a while, and then we can see further, you know. But of course, there are also a lot of legal proceedings that still are waiting for him. I don't understand why a person like Bobby Kotick just tries to stick it out like he does. Well, I can tell you, I think, my theory on it, Stefan, which is which is um, a disheartening one, but I think that this case in particular seems to maybe be trending in a different direction. But I, I genuinely think that the problem with the games industry, and, and this extends to a lot of things happening in America right now as well, um, kind of more generally speaking, is something terrible will happen. It will come out. And then the person who is either involved, implicated, or responsible for the terrible thing will either apologize and hope that that uh, settles it, or they will kind of fade away into the into the darkness and hope that that settles it so that people forget. We've seen it happen time and time again in, in innumerable different situations. And I think that there, there seems to be a mix of those two things where... Um, the board has come out and said that they find that he handled everything responsibly. So that's sort of their half-hearted apology. And now it seems like he maybe is just waiting for all of this to blow over. And I truly hope that it will not. And it seems that it won't because of all of the extra legal involvement with what's happening at Activision Blizzard. So we talked last time. We ended on the note that um, settlements are all well and good for the people involved, but they, it's not really justice so much as it is a, a write-off to get things to not appear in court. Um, things seem to be moving in a legal direction in this case, and hopefully that will set a precedent um, along with the reaction that the other games companies that we talked about have had, that the culture in the games industry is at least incrementally changing for the better. Dear listeners, thank you so very much for joining us for this admittedly a very interesting ride through some very good news with our you know ps5 giveaway to some very bad news with the activision blizzard story um, we much appreciate that you came along and uh, listened to this show of course remember that if you want to have a chance to win the PlayStation 5 disc version including an actual actual dual sense controller then you can go to studyingpixels.com slash ps5 and become a Studying Pixels Plus member. And of course, if you've made it so far, then I might mention that you can quit and can cancel 
the subscription at any given point. Like, it's not a big deal. And I understand. I'm not deluded. I think both of us are aware that there might be people who say, well, you know, I don't care particularly about studying pixels, but I really would like to have a chance to get this PlayStation 5. Who are we to judge? You know, it's just how it is. I can understand it. I would want to have a PlayStation 5 as well if I wasn't able to get one for Christmas. So, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, please make sure to, you know, support us on Patreon and then you'll be entered and we'll announce the winner on, I think, the episode after December 4th. That should be in two weeks. Of course, if you have any comments, thoughts or questions, then please submit them to podcast at studyingpixels.com or reach out to us on social media. We're looking forward to hear from you and we'll talk again next week. See you then. See you then.